Welcome to the Off the Charts Football Podcast. I'm Matt Manicherry and joined today by Neil Stratton of Inside the League. Uh, you all know me from SIS and the work that we do around here. Justin Stein, our producer, is off this week having a baby. Congratulations, Justin. Uh, but Neil works over at Inside the League, where basically he is the insider for all of the people on the inside. Um, anybody who is in not just the agent game, in the scouting, the evaluation game, front office happenings, um, really, uh, Neil is the industry insider who is, you know, something like, uh, what's what's the newspaper they have in Hollywood that's like the, the insider? Variety? Variety, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you're more than that. You're like, you, you know, this is your favorite NFL analyst's favorite NFL analyst. <laughs> um, so... Neil, welcome back on Off the Charts Football Podcast. Always good to have you. It's very kind of you. I really appreciate the intro, Matt. We've been friends for a long time. Um, I never got to be a scout, so the next best thing is, I guess, following scouts and following scouting and that kind of thing. So, to the degree that that's true, you know, hopefully, uh, it's, it's been. It's I'm really honored to be that person. You know, it's funny when I started inside the league. The idea was I want inside the league to be the variety of football. So for you to say that, then. You know, hopefully I have achieved that to some degree anyway. I think that's, uh, you know, around the league, obviously lots of people and uh, not just in the pro game, but in the, in the college game too. I think that a lot of people, there's, there's very few people that don't know who you are that are, that are really on the inside and, and seeing how things go. So I appreciate um, you, that's, uh, that's good. I'm happy we made that variety connection. <laughs> uh, we should mention, let's, let's just hit it right off the top because we, we saw the press release come out about um, inside the league doing some work with the new, the third generation of the XFL, the Rocks version. So um, what are you and Dwayne cooking up over there? Uh, anything, anything exciting on the XFL front? Well, it's, uh, it is certainly exciting to partner with the league, and we're really excited about what's ahead. Um, our role is probably not what a lot of people have come to believe based on that very kind press release. We're not we're certainly not the arbiters of who's going to be on the rosters or anything like that. As a matter of fact, next week, I believe the, the league is going to announce the names of the GMs uh, of each of the eight respective teams. And I think people are going to really be intrigued by that, especially people that are listening to this podcast, because I think people that are on this are listening to this are interested about how leagues work and how front offices are built and, 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 you know, therefore teams and what have you. Um, so we have a role. It's, it's a, it's kind of a fluid role. We help in getting the word out to agents and, and that community. We help in getting the word out about how to get players onto rosters and how the league is going to be populated and all those kind of things. And certainly uh, serving kind of an advisor consulting role on a, a different, a number of different things. Um, and, and we're proud to be there. Uh, I'm <clears throat> Doug Whaley has been a longtime friend. The uh, I believe his title is senior VP of player personnel. And, and uh, they've got a lot of capable people, obviously they're running the league and they've, got really good investment behind them. And so I think the league has a great chance to have legs. And I think anyone who's interested in the game and interested in the development of players um, should really give them a look next spring. And, um, and I think it's going to be an exciting product. I mean, to some degree, you know, for those of us weirdos who are old enough to remember the world league of American football and all the things that took place there and all the players that kind of, especially quarterbacks that kind of got developed over there and then came back over here and had nice NFL careers. Yeah, I think this is an opportunity for, for the league to have something like that. And um, so it'll be a lot of fun to watch. And um, 
you know, and it's it's an honor to have just one small role in in, in the uh, in the league. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Doug Whaley. I know that uh, he was always tight with an old colleague of mine from from the Saints, Jim Monos, and I think he's involved in, um, with him over there on the XFL side too. So right. it's really interesting because we definitely saw this with the Senior Bowl several years ago with with Jim Nagy coming in and it becoming kind of much more NFL front office like, much more kind of. Um, it felt like they really they really built themselves up kind of like in the image of an NFL team scouting department. And now we've seen as some of these leagues have, have started popping up, there are some of them that are really, you know, this I think is the biggest example of it. It's almost like they're, they're like XF XFL's like NFL junior in a lot of ways. Like they're really trying to build it up. Uh, you mentioned the GMs that, that they're announcing for each of the teams. Um, it feels like they're taking a really professional outlook in terms of, filling their rosters and doing all the things that, you know, the NF, the way that the NFL looks at things, that's how they're looking at it. And it, it stark to me when you compare it to take, you know, fan controlled football. Um, I don't know if you've looked at that at all, the, the FC, FCF. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But um, I have Matt, and the FCF's a little different, obviously. Yeah. They never, they never run the plays that I try to get them to select. <laughs> I can't, they get they give you the they give you like the menu. Have you have you seen during the games you can choose like to, to help call plays? And I'm always looking at it and I'm like, all right, this is the play call right here. Uh, their edge defender's been all over the place. Like this is the guy that you want to put in a bind on this play. And we're we're calling like the most ridiculous pass plays I've ever seen and stuff like that. And so so I had to stop stop trying with that one because uh, I don't think they're looking at it the exact same way that I am uh, in terms of that one. It's a bit of a work in progress, but it's an exciting concept. And I mean, I'm rooting for him. I, I always say, I don't, I don't pick sides when it comes to leagues. I mean, I want, I want as much football as possible. I mean, I'm one of those guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, let's, let's flip it over uh, from the XFL over to the NFL uh, because it's been the craziest off season ever, probably. Uh <laughs> wow. It has been a busy one. It seems like every year, Matt, you're talking to scouts in April and everyone says, Hey, it's going to be really crazy in May. And then it doesn't really get started. And then things don't really happen. And then people are kind of like, ah, like last year, it turned out to be a very busy year, about twice as many moves as we normally track. But most of them were kind of in-house moves. They weren't, you didn't see big names changing teams. You didn't see guys that you never dreamed would be let go, getting let go. And that's been kind of the theme this year. I mean, you probably read, I think it was two weeks ago, there have been 600, almost 599 years of scouting dumped on the street in the first three weeks post-draft. I mean, that is a dramatic amount of experience that's being, you know, that's no longer working with NFL teams. And um, when you, you look at add a few the, more decades to that already since then, huh? Yeah, exactly. Another 30, yeah. I, I mean, uh, with, the, with the Steelers news today, uh, we're, we're approaching, uh, my gosh, we're approaching 700. But when you look at the volatility of college football right now, and, you know, if you're a running back who has any success, you're not staying more than three years, you know, in college. And maybe one of those years was a redshirt year. Um, you may, at this point, you may play for three programs by the time you get out. Um, right. There's so many different, you know, with the portal, there are so many variables now. One would think, I would think, I want guys that I know have skins on the wall and that's kind of the opposite of where we're going right now and it's so it's an interesting time to be tracking the league because there is so much experience that's kind of being turned out asked to retire what have you 
And, uh, you know, there are going to be some really serious challenges, I, I, I think, especially for those at the GM and executive level with NFL teams who are making the decisions. So I want to I want to dive in on that kind of like the college situation right now real quick, because I think one thing that happened was COVID and like 2020 was really weird. We saw how it affected the last two draft classes where we sort of had like a lot of high quality players, but not a lot of players in general in the draft in mm -hmm. uh, 2021. And then in 2022, it was a glut of all these players that, that are running out of eligibility and had to come out. But there was very few, you know, superstar. You know, we ended up with Trayvon Walker as the number one pick uh, to many people's chagrin. So I think that was one thing. But the other thing, like you mentioned, with the transfer portals, it kind of feels like when NBA made the one and done rule and that, like, we need to sort of figure out what our new, like, what is this going to look like now? Are we going to value only players that are three years removed from high school and try to be like all in on upside? Baseball was like that for a little while where they drafted all the high school kids and then they pivoted. And now it's more, you're more college kids than high school kids getting drafted in the high rounds there. Mm -hmm. Uh, because they started to find, well, once we've seen them play a few years and they get developed, then we know what we're getting. Mm -hmm. So this is a better investment. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm curious about NIL hasn't even begun to shake out, right? Oh, man. And that's just another one. I mean, I don't <clears> – <throat> I spoke to scouts last year because I was curious about how they felt NIL would impact their evaluation. And I think, honestly, most scouts were kind of excited about it because uh, – it, it was one more marker for a kid's maturation. Is, can he handle that spotlight? You know, hey, we, we're finding out right now if this kid is in it for the sunshine or if he's in to play ball yeah, that makes because sense. of NIL, you know. And so I guess to some degree that was a positive. But now we're starting, you know, the Addison kid, I think, at Pittsburgh, basically it seemed to me what I read, it was almost straight, what can I get? You know, this is why I'm leaving. <clears throat> and – if we start to see big players take that attitude, you know, wow. Um, you know, if it starts happening with quarterbacks, if it starts happening with some of the other players, you know, it wasn't that long ago, Matt. <laughs> I think you remember it when the Parcells rule was, what, four years as a starter, yeah. uh, X number of completions, all these kind of things. There aren't any quarterbacks that satisfy the Parcells rule anymore, you know, and, and um, that's true of almost every position now. I mean, again, there's just – so much volatility that you can't you can't fall to the triangle numbers, um, and uh, you know, and certain product productivity levels and that kind of thing, um, like you could in the past. You've got to really be on top of exactly what your team is looking for and exactly where the league is going from a trend standpoint, or you're going to blow it, man. Uh, you're going to blow it hard, and, and uh, you know, especially when you're looking at maybe a two-year, three-year window on a GM now man, you have got to get almost every pick right. Certainly, certainly those day one and day two picks for sure. All right, well, let's talk about some of those new GMs because we saw a whole bunch of people uh, come in and join teams this year. Um, where do you want to start as far as that goes? Which, which of those really intrigue you, whether it's uh, New York, Minnesota, Chicago, you could reel them off. Let's talk about a couple of them I think that are intriguing to me. I really like what Joe Shane has done in New York, and I don't, I've never met Shane. Um, obviously, never worked with him. <clears throat> but it seems like he's bringing in people that I think are really good evaluators. Uh, Mike DeReese, uh, new national scout that he plucked from the Colts. Not only has Mike been doing this for a long time, and I think widely respected across the league, but 
I really like what the Colts have done in their front office. I'm a big fan of Chris Ballard. Uh, as you know, he won the uh, they won the best draft award. I believe it was in for the 18 drafts. Um, Whenever they got Q, yeah, that draft. Yeah, it was, nice, <laughs> it was a nice draft for him. But I think Mike's been a, a, a big voice there for a long time. So be, to be able to land him, I think is a real coup, coup for him. Um, I like the fact, you know. He's top <laughs> notch. He's, we should say right, right off. Yeah, Reese is top I, notch from the New York area. When I first met him, he was actually working at Stony Brook at the time. Um, before he spent probably a decade in, in Indianapolis now. Um, mm-hmm. A couple of regimes there that he's been through mm-hmm. and seen kind of how you build it. He's an exciting one. Sorry, go on. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I, everything and and he's a guy that has paid his dues, worked his way up. You know, you you root for people like that. Um, it's funny because when I reported that they that the Giants had let Chris Pettit go, their college director, and and a couple other people, it was like a uh, it was like New Year's Day uh, of two thousand, uh, New Year's Eve of two thousand for the Giants fans. I mean, it was an explosion of excitement. And the funny thing, the next thing was, well, who's the next college director going to be? And I think there's a, uh, a perception out there that if you've got a direct, your director of college scouting is the guy who runs your whole board and he's the one that makes all the picks and tells the GM who to take. And um, not to diminish what the college director does, not at all, because that's certainly an important role. But, you know, Shane decided not to hire one. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Now, I think he what my understanding is he had some people he wanted, they got blocked because they were highly regarded within their organizations. And so, um, you know, he did, he, so he went rather than forcing it, he's going to kind of let it play out, but he brought Dennis Hickey with him from Buffalo. Uh, here's a guy who's a former GM. He's, uh, you know, seen were they in Miami the, together as well. I be, yeah, they were in okay. Miami as well. Yeah, they sure were. <clears throat> and I think that, I don't know if Hickey will serve as the college director de facto per se, but, they've got enough upper level management and organization there that I think they're not going to be hurt by not having one. So I think the giants are in pretty good shape. You know, they brought in uh, all the people they brought in, not just a Mike, but others that they brought in. I, I like, so I think they're off to a really good start. Um, found out yesterday that Justin Marcus, who's a guy who's been in a lot of the zooms that we do here at ITL is a, is a new scouting assistant there. So I'm excited for him. Chris Rossetti, I think is a solid addition on the pro side as their pro director. Um, so I, I'm excited about what they're doing there. Um, I think when, when you look at, I mean, their first draft, what do they, they had at least 10 picks that they, that they, you know, all kinds of depth throughout the draft that they got there. And then the two first rounders, mm-hmm. two of the top players on a lot of people, you know, mm-hmm. there are people that would have taken them number one and number two between Absolutely right. and Neil. Absolutely. So, um, I think uh, they're off to a, they're off to a promising start. Yeah. And you see Belichick do that before, right? Like I don't have a defensive coordinator because I feel really comfortable overseeing that process. And then we'll see, we'll see when these guys compete to, to move into that position, then we'll bring in that, that director of college scouting or elevate that director of college scouting, Mm -hmm. depending on how it plays out. So it seems like a reasonable strategy. You know, and every, you know, this Matt, every front office is built differently. There's a, a kind of a comfort level in, Oh well, here, if you have an NFL front office and you have this, you have this, this, and this. You don't have to do it that way. And you know, as long as you're successful and you have a very ordered chain of command and everyone gets to be heard, then you don't have to necessarily check all those boxes per se. So I think the Giants are off to a good start. And and uh, as a guy who believes in it, all starts up front. 
getting players of that caliber in the first round, you know, I think is a, is a great start to a, to a new era there. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, all right, which other which other teams uh, are you interested in? Because there's let's that talk New York. About, yeah, let's talk about the Bears. Um, another team that I feel has put a premium on bringing in good evaluators. Um, I uh, have to <laughs> have to admit my bias first. Um, Ian Cunningham, their new assistant GM, uh, actually played for me when I ran the Hula Bowl in 2008. Nice. And uh, so it's kind of cool to see his evolution and have tracked his rise. And and so I'm a big fan of Ian's. But, uh, you know, I think – I don't know Ryan Poles, but I know a lot of people that do, and I think there are a lot of people that are pretty excited when he got the job there, obviously. Um, but I like the, how they've built things as well. Again, they're bringing in people that are trusted evaluators. You know, I, I think um, Breck Ackley um, was elevated to assistant director of college this year. Breck was one of our BART list, Bart list winners for, uh, you know, for this year, our, our inaugural list. And for those who don't know – we put it every scout in either conference to a vote with all the scouts, and they were allowed to vote on who their 10 best were in each conference. Breck was one of those 10 in the NFC. So I think tracking him and his rise is, is good, and I think they're making good decisions there. They brought in Ryan Cavanaugh, um, who's been with the Texans and another team prior to that. I can't remember, maybe the Colts. And uh, Ryan's another good evaluator, just came from Ohio State where he was the portal guy. Um, you know, I, I, I like what they've done on the pro side as well. I think they've made a lot of good moves. So, um, and, 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 and let me say also, I think notwithstanding the fact that maybe some people were dissatisfied with, uh, you know, the, the quarterback pick and a couple other things that happened, I think they've got a good solid scouting department. And I think that's why you saw Champ Bailey go to Las Vegas as the assistant GM there. I think the building blocks were there, and I think they made, it, made the front office even stronger. So I think they have a good staff, and, and I'd be excited if I'm a Bears fan. So that's interesting. So you feel like they're really well-structured on sort of that, that personnel front. But when I look at the personnel on the field, the cupboard's pretty bare. In fact, you mentioned Justin Fields being something that might have upset people the way that went down. He also is probably, you know, the biggest bright spot when you look at their roster and you think, okay, what, you know, what, can, what, what is the upside here? Um, there aren't a lot of, there's not a lot of young talent. And of course, yeah. you know, without the first round pick this year. I was actually going back to Trubisky, Matt, because um, I think that was probably the defining decision of Ryan Pace's NFL GM career, you know, and um, it didn't work out the way they hoped. And so now Pace is in Atlanta and they've got a new GM there. Um, you know, and we'll see about fields. I, I was a proponent of them selecting fields. We'll see what kind of a jump he takes in year two. You know, um, from a talent standpoint, you're, you're right. They've got some work to do. They certainly that's that's why they've got a new GM in there. Um, but I think that they have a good chance to repopulate with good players. I mean, I'm, I don't feel like I'm going out too much of a limb there. I really feel like they've got some talented evaluators there. And I think the best is yet to come. We'll see. Both those teams, I think, did a lot to uh, the Giants and the Bears. They did a lot to kind of rebuild their cores. Uh, they both. They both had a lot of late round picks this year, a year um, like we mentioned before, where there were a lot of players. There were a lot of kind of um, opportunities for guys there that were in super high caliber, potentially rebuilding, you know, the backbone of their roster. It's going to be really important when we look back three years from now, how yeah. those fifth and sixth and seventh round picks, um, if any of them panned out. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And then, I mean, I think another place that's kind of interesting is the Raiders. Um, 
you know, when they, when they named uh, Ziegler as their new GM, uh, what I had was told is Ziegler's a guy that recognizes his strengths and weaknesses and his background was on the pro side in new England. And so he wasn't going to come in there and try to rebuild the college side by himself. And so he brought, you know, we, we mentioned Champ Bailey that came in as their assistant GM from the Bears. Champ's been around, been with the Broncos. He's, he's known a lot of people. He's interviewed for a lot of GM jobs. He's got a lot of connections. And so they were able to, to I think, build their scouting department in a way that's going to be beneficial to them going forward. They kind of jiggled. They also kind of jiggered some of the people that are already there and kind of changed some titles. But, I mean, I think bringing in Andy Bingler is, is, a, is a great move for him, former uh, longtime Jags executive bringing Sean Harrock, I think is a big uh, move for them uh, from the Browns, uh, who's a guy who's obviously very highly respected. But I think bringing in Lenny McGill as a senior national scout, I mean, Lenny is uh, very highly regarded, has been doing this for a long time, has gotten offers uh, before to leave Miami, passed on him. He felt like this was a good one, good move, so he too made one. And, and, and then bringing in Jurgen, who's a national scout for him, in uh, New England um, as their new college director, I think is a, a, a move with a lot of promise as well. So I think the Raiders uh, have made a lot of changes and I think most of them have been good ones. And you see, I mean, from the team perspective, they seem to be in a bit more of a win now scenario than either, either of those two first teams that we talked about, the Giants or the Bears. Do you think they see it that way um, in terms of the way that they're looking at things? I mean, Derek Carr, say what you want, uh, kind of a fringe quality quarterback. Yeah. Um, but they have a lot of other weapons on the roster. Uh, well, when, when you look at the receivers, the tight end, offensive line, defensive line, they've got some strong spots. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the Adams move, to me, you don't make that move if you're not going for it. And um, so I think that they are all in. I, you know, <clears throat> no one wins the Super Bowl and, and, in a vacuum. And I think a lot of teams are rather than saying, Hey, we're going to sit back and build through the draft. They want to win today. And so they're, you know, they're, they're packaging their picks and going out and getting veterans. And, um, and it's going to be, I, I, <laughs> there's probably no clear illustration of, of their win now philosophy than that they had three, three first rounders from a draft, what, four years ago, and they didn't renew any, they're not bringing any of them back for year five. Those uh, guys were head scratchers at the time, and uh, yeah, yeah, main head scratchers now. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, I would say they definitely are going for it, and um, you know, good on them for uh, you know for for taking that approach. I, I it's not a safe approach, but it is uh, a bold approach, and uh, you know, you got to root for people that are uh, you know, that believe in themselves and that are uh, not leaving themselves with any ropes, so to speak. Yep. Uh, adding Chandler Jones, adding Anthony Everett as well in free agency there. Um, it'll, be, it'll be really fascinating to watch how they grow and sort of what they become now in the wake of this really weird Gruden-Mayock experiment that yeah. has left them not in horrible shape roster-wise. Yeah. 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 Have, I would agree. I think they have a, a very manageable uh, roster. And <clears throat> While they didn't hit on the early picks as much, they did. They did some good things in the later picks, and um, you know, picked right. up no, no first rusher. or second rounders this year. So yeah, 
Yeah. So oh, you're, oh, you're, you're looking back over the last couple of years. Yeah, right. you're just talking about Mayock. Yeah. Again. Yeah, the Mayock. I couldn't agree with that more. There, there's a bunch of dudes on that roster that, that hey, Hunter Infra. Like, you know. Exactly. And that's another great example. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of in a backhanded way. They did some good things. It just was maybe not uh, on those early in those early rounds when you really got a hit. But they yeah. in the later rounds, at least. Yeah, it's hard when you go way off the board and then it kind of goes the way everybody else expected and not you. Yeah. Uh, you end up with Josh Allen. It's great. You end up with uh, <laughs> Daniel Jones. Was, not, not so much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we sit down here and go down through their first rounders, um, you know, tough. But again, I think they did a little bit better work on day three and that kind of thing. And some of those guys are stuck around and more power to them. All right, I don't want to get you in any. I don't want to get you in any hot water here, but we did mention Trubisky a minute ago. Obviously, Mahomes was was the gem of that draft. The one other quarterback, Deshaun Watson, has been back in the news, and I can't make out how the Browns wouldn't have known that there was more coming with all of the diligence that was done over the course of a year on this. You getting any sense of where this is going to end up? It feels like Deshaun Watson's going to be missing at least a season at this point. Um, and that the Browns maybe should be feeling some buyer's remorse. Matt, here's what I heard. And, and I don't have first person uh, information necessarily, but my understanding on all this was when the Browns made that trade, they felt like it was pretty settled. Okay. What I had heard was that the legal team representing the women had one person who really felt like she had a real criminal case against Watson. And, but she, because it was a civil action, she didn't really want to take part because she felt like it would kind of cheapen her experience and what had really happened, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I didn't watch the HBO special. I didn't see what happened there, but my impression is that he kind of came off as, you know, I made a few mistakes, but this was a little overblown. And, what I've heard is that this 23rd accuser may be that one that really wants, has, I don't want to use the term, the term ax to grind, but is feels like this was not a small thing and is a little resentful that this is being now pitched as in the past, maybe overblown, et cetera, et cetera. If that's the case, if this is someone who really wants to, you know, be heard, what have you, it could be that Watson misses a year. And with the contract that he signed, um, that could be a major blow to the Browns from a roster management standpoint, from a cap management standpoint, all those kind of things. Um, you know, it's hard having that much of an investment in one player, uh, even, if, even if he is your quarterback. And much has been made about how Seattle had a window with Russell Wilson before, you know, when he was still on his rookie deal, et cetera, et cetera. So, there could be some challenges and some rough waters ahead for the Browns if that turns into a more protracted legal situation. Right. Might be the Jacoby Brissett show, which who knows? They've got a good roster. They've got a good roster outside of that position. I agree. Uh, when you talk about how they're built up front, obviously they're edge rushers, um, they're secondary. Um, there's, there's a lot to like with that roster. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. I mean, it seems like sports is overlapping with, sort of like the news more more often than ever recently 
And I mean, with the golf league, with Saudi Arabia and all the stuff that goes on with that, this is like, there's a, there's like the moral question, the ethical question that goes along with the, what's the right thing for our sports team. Mm -hmm. We're only here to talk about that latter part. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, it's crazy how it, how would it, um, it overlaps things there. And yeah, I would understand if what you're saying is true. If she was planning on staying quiet and heard what she heard and wanted to set the record straight, that would certainly be understandable from a human perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about another weird one, a little bit less hot water ish. Uh, Do you believe that Tom Brady was set to become like a part owner GM of the Miami dolphins? Is that, is that what happened there? Or do you have any, any sense of what your interpretation of events was as far as that went? You know, there's an awful lot of smoke there for there to be no fire, Matt. Um, I, I really haven't talked to anyone about that. I really haven't entertained it that much. It's been a incredibly fun story to track, especially given Stephen Ross's ties to Michigan and, um, and the available free agents out there, I guess, being Sean, you know, Sean Payton and, uh, you know, Brady's situation and what have you. Um, it's fascinating. I, I think, that it's clear that the Dolphins were in the mood to make some big moves. Um, if that was one of them, what could be bigger than that? But I, I don't know what the answer is. I, I, I could only speculate on it. It's but like I say, it's awfully. Yeah, there's <laughs> a lot of smoke. Obviously, the Brian Flores lawsuit had the, the stuff about meeting with the famous quarterback on the boat yeah. and things like that. And it would defy logic to think that wasn't Brady and that something you know, with his retirement and then returning and then Bruce Arians retiring. Um, just seems like there's something going on there. Yeah. Uh, can't wait yeah. to see how that plays out next year. He might take that, that 380 million uh, to go sit up in the booth, which wouldn't be so bad. But well, hey, listen, as a Saints guy, I'd love for him to be in a different uh, you know, division and conference, you know. Um, <laughs> but on the other hand, the Saints kind of had his number last year. So maybe I don't, maybe I don't have to worry about it as much. Man, and uh, we'll see where Sean Payton ends up now, uh, because if he was involved in that, that was one thing. Uh, now I'm going back to to my original hypothesis, which is uh, Jerry Jones. There's no amount of money that he wouldn't pay for for Sean Payton. Lock, lock, <laughs> lock. I, I think there's, I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, he's got the history and all those kinds of things, and yeah, I I think that was always to me. I don't have, again, I don't have any inside information there, but it seems like that's been the plan for a while. I mean, he's got a home in Dallas. It would be perfect for him. You know, there's, and not only that, I, I don't think Sean Payton goes anywhere where he doesn't have a very, at, at, at worst, a very settled quarterback situation. And I think, you know, obviously with the money that, that the Cowboys are paying Dak, they are certainly settled there. And so, um, you know, I think that's one reason why he walked away from New Orleans is there's been uncertainty with Jameis and what have you. And um, I think that, you know, to, if you want to run the kind of offense that Peyton's going to run, you've got to have a mature quarterback there. And so I think Dallas will make a lot of sense, but, you know, we'll see. And, uh, you know, of course, if, if they all went to Miami, that'd make a lot of sense too. Yeah, I think he was, he was pretty interested in having Tom Brady as his quarterback, uh, mm-hmm. it seems like, mm-hmm. uh, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about another quarterback or former quarterback, Josh McCown. That was a weird one. Uh, almost went from the, uh, the clipboard to the head coach, the clipboard to the headset. I guess he already had a headset, but uh, in one move, well, uh, what do you make of that? Can we see more of that going forward? 
I don't, you know, uh, I'm in Houston and there are a lot of people that work for the team that I have a lot of respect for, but I still think that that's a, a, a franchise that still kind, kind of can't get out of its own way. And um, I, I don't know. I mean, Matt, you know me for a long time. I'm a little old school. I just believe people should kind of pay their dues. I don't think it's, to me, it's not right to, to ask someone to go from the field straight to the head coach, head, head coaching spot. And, and uh, you're running past a lot of people that have been preparing for that day for a long time. I, um, you know, I just think, I think that Houston has got a lot of, of issues they need to deal with before they add in another issue of a brand new uh, head coach, especially after they just fired a guy that was essentially, you know, a, a bit of a, let's say a surprise hire. Um, my feeling, Matt, is if you're a GM who hires a, a coach and you fire him after the first year, you got to go with him because you're the one who made that decision. And I don't think they gave Cully a proper opportunity. I think that there's a lot of, uh, there's a big learning curve with being one of 32 NFL head coaches. And um, I don't know, I get, I, I get kind of passionate because I just, I don't like it when guys pay their dues and then they you know, don't, aren't given a chance to, to grow and mature and flourish. And yeah. um, you know, whether or not Cully was the right hire, I just think it's really disappointing. They didn't give him more, more rope. It really felt like more of a, like an interim hire than somebody who they really intended. And then it seemed a little bit kind of sloppy with the end, the way that they ended up with Lovey totally. there, you know, like um, not to question either individual in any way, um, but they are one of these teams and you'll see this around sports sometimes where it's very hard to make sense of how their decisions fit in with one another. And that's always a red flag for me. It, you know, it's very hard when you're not inside a building to know the way all every decision right. is getting made. That's one thing right. I learned from being inside the building is there's a lot of stuff that we're privy to. Maybe some of it is, is not the best information in the world, but this is the information that we're going off of. Right. And um, from the outside, you can't always see that, but what you should see from the outside is a consistency of process. And without that, I, I think that, um, you know, you, you, you're going somewhere, but you don't know where you're going. And <laughs> so you're making great time getting nowhere fast. Um, amen and amen. Amen and amen. I mean, it's it seems like the only thing that's mattered for the last three or four years was getting Nick Casario in as GM, and and so they've done that now. But it, but since that has happened, there have been a lot of stops and starts along the way that I don't think were maybe anticipated. And um, and I'm not taking anything away from Casario, but it seems like he's been hampered by a lot of things starting off that maybe you wouldn't want to be hampered by and perhaps uh, the other five new GMs or whatever haven't had to deal with. And, and so it's been harder um, to right. get uh, to kind of get some momentum than maybe others thought it would be. So we've talked a lot in the past and there's probably no better expert than you on the way that different scouting departments are structured around the league. And uh, I know in the past we've talked about what, what you alluded to earlier, which is just those years and years of scouting experience that seem to leave the league every year and seems to get younger. And uh, we've seen sort of the proliferation of a bit of the Patriots method, which is really where your job is to gather information. Your job is to do X, Y, and Z. And then us decision makers are going to 
evaluate that information. We're not asking you for any sort of opinion whatsoever. Um, and then there's also, um, I think, some old school that, that still is out there around the league. And then there's uh, even more of the, I don't want to call it like the, the analytics approach, but people that are willing to take in different, often newer sources of information and, and really layer that into the process. I guess where I want to start, I want to ask you about like where the league is going as far as that goes in a bigger picture, but how do the Texans fit into that? Do you have a sense for how they're built? No, I haven't gotten a sense for how they're built. I, I don't, I don't know how much stock they put in analytics. Um, they don't have a glittery analytics guy if there is even one in the league right now. So it's hard to, you know, so they, you don't, they don't have that to hang their hat on. And I haven't done a deeper dive into uh, how big their analytics department is. Um, I don't, I never got the sense that the Patriots were highly analytics minded uh, when Casario was there. Um, so I don't think that's something he would necessarily bring with him. And my sense is that Jack Easterby, who's kind of, uh, you know, Cal McNair's uh, right-hand man has made that a mandate as far as the way he wants the team to be run. So I don't have a good sense of that. What I do know is that um, their uh, DPP, uh, Jim Lipford, was one of the 10 Bartlist winners So um, for this year. So they've got a good guy at the top who is a very good evaluator, who's highly regarded. Um, they've got uh, some scouts on, on the staff that are highly regarded. And I guess if I was in Casero's shoes, I would trust my guys. But again, coming from the model that he came from, he's probably more inclined to make his own decisions. And and uh, I, I just don't know where analytics plays into that and how heavy a role that is in their evaluation. Yeah, they have a, an interesting draft, very, uh, very SEC heavy. Um, really liked some of their picks this year. I, I know people, some people thought that Sauce should have gone ahead of Stingley. I have no issue taking Stingley at number three. Um, it, to me, it's just a health question. It's not a, not a talent question. Uh, you look at Mechie in the second round. You look at Harris in the third round. Mm-hmm. Um, these are players that if you watch college football, you know who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be interesting to see if that can be a, a successful strategy going forward, how that, how that fits out for them, or um, if, if kind of the, the lack of consistency that we were talking about continues to kind of bite them. I don't know if that does come from, from Easterby or, or even McNair himself. Um, I kind of like, I kind of like the way this, that their footprint is being developed. I'm a guy who, again, I'm a guy who believes in offensive linemen and I'm okay with them in the first round. And even a guard, I think is important, uh, especially if you're trying to break in a younger quarterback. So, uh, you know, Stingley was a little surprised to me, but I don't have the insights and I'm not a scout and I don't pretend to be one. Um, I will certainly defer to them on, on the Stingley pick, but I like the, uh, the guard from AM and uh, in the middle of, of the, of the first round. I think, I think it's, I think you have to have those. You've got to be able to, you got to be able to count on your offensive line and uh, especially when you're building. And so I, I thought that was a good move. Yeah. Both really young, really high upside, really talented athletes. Um, between Stingley and Kenyon Green, mm-hmm. um, so at least they could be excited. All right, so let's let's zoom back out there and talk about that. So, where are where are front offices going? 
You know, it's interesting because I think that right now the trend is expanded front offices. Um, you know, your average right now is about 20 scouts in a, in a front office. Um, and when I say scouts, I'm talking about evaluators, pro and college. That number is probably, I think the last time we counted that prior to this past year was maybe an 18. And I think the average was around 18 and a half or 19. So you're seeing expanded scouting staffs. I think there's a commitment to growing them. I don't necessarily think that's a good thing, Matt. I think it's got to be, I think you've just got to have guys that you know are in places. Um, you've got to have a, a process like you've alluded to. And I think you've got to have a very regimented um, hierarchy, uh, decision-making process. And I think you've got to know that the guys that are in the areas are the best that you can get. And that's why I admire, I think Seattle does it well. I think the Packers do it well. I think the Steelers do it well, even though they're kind of blowing things up right now and kind of going in a different direction. I've been a big admirer of the Saints for a long time. These teams don't have enormous scouting staffs, but they've got, I think they've got scouts that are evaluators. Um, they've got scouts that actually are out there looking at players. I'm not trying to pick on, I mean, you, you talked about the information gathering philosophy that the Patriots um, have kind of championed. And uh, I'm certainly not here to pick on them at all, but I, I think when you've got a quarterback like Tom Brady, you can, that covers a lot of sins. And if you look at some of their first rounders over the last four or five years, they've missed on a lot of them. And I'm, I mean, I can recall five or six years ago at the combine, a college director saying, sometimes we laugh at their picks. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I don't think, and you know, Cole Strange may turn out to be John Hanna, but I think a lot of teams were surprised to see him taken so early by the team. Um, my point is not to pick on the, on the Patriots. It's just to say that I think more teams should be relying on their scouts um, as evaluators rather than just information gatherers. I think there is a role certainly for analytics, but it's got to be homogenized and all that. And I think that that's happening. Um, one thing that I've heard in, uh, from scouts in, Miami, in Minnesota is that the new GM there, Quasi Adolfo Mensa, has done a great job of kind of bringing that into it without going hard in one direction or the other. And so I kind of hope that Minnesota does experience some success because maybe he, maybe they've cracked the code. Maybe they figured it out. Uh, but to answer your question, I think front offices are getting bigger and I think they're getting more towards the new, the new England side philosophy, but I don't think that's necessarily the better thing. I don't think you need more scouts. I think you need better scouts. You need to be able to evaluate them on your own. And you've got to have obviously good decision makers at the top who can synthesize all the information that's coming in and helping making the, the right picks. Right. Sort of quality, not quantity. Uh, one that's thing awesome. that I like about the Patriots is that they cross train their personnel staff on the pro and on the college side. That's so true. it's not like you'll just have a college region or you'll just be the pro scout in charge of the NFC, whatever. Um, it's, you get exposure on both sides. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, as much as I like that, I wonder if maybe there are also some real advantages to, I think, the model that it sounds like you, you prefer, not that aspect necessarily, but um, having somebody who's a real expert in their region and somebody that you can really trust to own their region, like <laughs> 20 years ago, we would have called scouting. Um, <laughs> 
that is something that um, if you're cross training all the time, you do get different exposure, but to really um, develop those relationships and to watch players as they come through for three, four, five years and see their progression, not just a snapshot of them four to six games from their senior year of whatever they put on film in those games that you happen to, to watch on them. Um, sometimes all of the information gathering is, is really great. I, I think more information is be- better. Um, but if people wonder why in the spring there are so many risers and fallers, a lot of the time it's because we're relying on pieces of information that aren't as good as the information that a quality scout gathered before November, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. It's fascinating to watch the people that rise, rise and fall. And I wish I knew how much of that is actual because of actual new information and how much of it is, well, I'm hearing at the all-star games that this guy's hot or I'm at the combine and everyone's talking about this guy. Um, and then, of course, you know, the numbers that, that players post at the combine that tantalize scouts. I mean, that human element, it, you can't take that away, um, but you also don't know how much of it, it really is to have to factor into it. Um, what happens from, I guess, first week of January to the last week of April fascinates me, and, and I wish I knew how players are adjusted when the season's over, all your scouts are back, all your reports are filed, but now you're changing opinions on key players and key prospects. Well, I think what's happening though is part of the draft process. Anyway, on, on January 1st, your area scouts and your college department, people that have been on the road, your GM a little bit, but like those people are a hundred percent of your opinions at that point. Mm-hmm. By the time you get to April, Mm-hmm. they're less than 50% of the opinions. <laughs> and that's where I think things get out of whack. I think the doctors are important. I think the coaches are important. I think all of that is very important. But when you allow all of that to trickle in, all of those other pieces of information, they get poisoned by right. what somebody's saying on the street. Right. And so right. uh, it's a tricky process. We're trying, to, think- we're trying to make it a little better here. We've got a new scouting product that we're working on here. I got to keep it on the down low uh, for, for the time being. But um, we're working on sports info at Sports Info Solutions on on that exact question of um, how to create more valuable scouting data, not just what was the performance of the player, but what really um, would be analogous to to what scouts collect, and is there a way to make that more um, of a consistent, trackable process? And TBD. Well, I've seen – let me blow you up for a second, Matt. I've seen the progression of SIS while you've been there. I've seen you when you used to come to CGS. I've, I know how it's grown across the league. So I have confidence that you're going to continue to crack that code. And, and, uh, and if you do, then that's really something special because everyone's trying to find that answer of how to really kind of synthesize the analytics part and the traditional part. Um, so I think you're at a, a great place, and I think, and I have all faith that you'll be able to do that. Neil, it's like being a Buddhist. You're always, you're always trying to achieve nirvana, but you never actually get there. Um, it's pretty elusive. That's all we can do is keep trying to get better every day, though, right? <laughs> that's the goal, man, for everybody. All right, Neil, it has been so much fun catching up with you. 
Um, a big fan of all your work. Um, for anybody that doesn't know, um, please let the people um, know where to follow you inside the league, succeed, succeed in football, blog, all of that stuff. Well, you know, there's a lot of ways to kind of track our content. Um, if you care about hiring and firing, make sure you're following me on inside, at Inside the League on Twitter. If you care about kind of the, the direction of the game and the trends and those kind of things, make sure you're following our blog at Succeed in Football. If you care about a weekly recap of everything that's going on from a football business perspective, register for our newsletter. It's a Friday wrap, um, and you can find it all over my Twitter. Um, finally, if you're looking for a deeper dive into scouting and you want to hear about the business from people in the industry, check out my book. It's, you can find it on Amazon. It's called Scout Speak. And um, it's a pretty quick read. And like I always say, it doesn't have any big words because I don't know any big words. Um, it's something that you'll enjoy and hear some pretty cool war stories and maybe learn a little bit about the game. Uh, I think you picked up for 13 bucks on Amazon. Uh, it's out there. Matt, I appreciate the, the opportunity as always, buddy. And it's always a blast chopping it up with you, man. Again, if you want to really know what's going on on the inside, you need to follow everything Neil is doing and follow inside the league um, because that, that's it. That's variety for football. Um, <laughs> for our producer, Justin Stein, um, and his wife and, uh, and his, new, uh, his newborn, hopefully on the way, um, for our guest, Neil Stratton, I'm Matt Manicharian. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Sports Info Solutions Off the Charts Football Podcast.